Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Anyway, we're going to be Romans chapter 12. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to read verses 9 to 21. And so I want to jump into that Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. We're about to turn up the house lights so you guys can see. A little dark. We'll get there. But it's good to see you guys. Hey, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight and never repay anyone evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. You know, we live in a challenging uh, opportunity, a challenging time. A time that I think in some ways, as last week we looked at, is characterized by brokenness. And there's an opportunity for the church in times of brokenness not to match brokenness with brokenness. Have you seen that in the home? Does that work? Brokenness with brokenness in the workplace, brokenness with brokenness on the street corners, brokenness with brokenness in the political realms. It doesn't work. Evil doesn't destroy evil. It just adds to the evil. Jesus came and he overcame evil with good. And so in a time of brokenness, we need the goodness of God through the power of the Spirit working through us. Because here's one of the challenges we have. You know, when the church is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are a compelling force in the world. But when the church is not indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit, we are just as destructive as any other force in the world. What makes the difference? It's the good news of the gospel through the power of the Spirit working through us, changing us from brokenness into goodness, and today from compromise into faithfulness. I think we could say just as much as the world is broken, there's a lot of compromise. Compromise in our leaders from the political realm all the way down. We see it in the way that people engage in the political realm. They say one thing, do the other. They 
can redefine terms and reestablish definitions whenever they want. And, and that doesn't just happen in our political sphere, and it happens on all sides, each side equally. It also happens in the church, happens with pastors. It happens with elders. It happens with our own compromise. And when the church compromises, here's the reality. It's not that we don't simply get voted back into office the next term. What happens is when we compromise, it reflects not as much just on the church, but on the character, on the nature of Jesus Christ, and across the world on the power of the gospel to be heard. See, when Christians compromise, what's at stake is the glory of God and the gospel. And if we see that in the, our leaders, right? We see that in the churches. We see that in our CEOs. But here's the challenge. I see compromise in myself. I don't always live up to God's standards. I certainly, I know I don't live up to my own standards. There are times in which we hold people to certain standards. We get angry. We get embittered. We get angry with the way that other people react. And yet, do we hold ourselves to the same standard at which we judge others. See, there's a brokenness in us where we see ourselves better than we really are. We see the world is more broken, and what we're missing is the right vision. What we need is a vision of the faithfulness of God. Why is there so much compromise? Well, I think we live in a time of great pragmatic selfishness. What do I mean? We are good at being selfish. Sometimes we're so good at being selfish, you don't even know someone is acting in a selfish way. And we're very pragmatic, meaning there's things that we want, and we so want them that we pursue them with this selfish drive to accomplish and to get. And you hear it in our culture. Hey, guys, listen, just you do you. I do me. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is being indwelt by the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to move us from a place of deep, pragmatic selfishness to a place of faithfulness as we are empowered and dwelt by the Spirit. So today, what I want to do is look deeper into this idea of the faithfulness of God. What is it? Because I think sometimes we use that word, right? We say, hey, listen, God is faithful, brother, sister, whatever's going on. Listen, God is faithful, and then we say to somebody, hey, just be faithful. Be a good and faithful servant. But what does that word faithful mean? What are we actually saying? Because until we grasp what we're saying, we won't understand the implications of what that means to live out faithfulness in the world. And see, in the fruit of the Spirit, this word faithfulness in the Greek, it's this word pistis or pistuo. And it's translated a number of different ways. When you read a passage, and maybe you've heard this, the just shall live by faith. Well, that can be translated two ways based on the context because pistuo or pistis can be translated faith or sometimes it's translated faithfulness. It's the exact same word in the Greek but a very different meaning based on the context. The just will live by faith. The just will live by faithfulness. Those are two very different meanings. And in the New Testament, faith can mean trust. But see, it also can mean trustworthiness. It can mean dependability. The idea, the root of the idea of faith is like a pillar on a house, holding up the strength of the building. So faith means dependability. It means loyalty. 
and it results in trust and trustworthiness. And it's only when we get a glimpse of the faithfulness of God that the Holy Spirit then moves in us to be faithful even when it doesn't benefit us. Because in a world of pragmatic selfishness, obedience is difficult when it doesn't benefit us. And often when you're living for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, obedience to God isn't going to get you something that day. It's going to glorify God, but it may lose respect with others. It may cause you uh, to lose experiences in our society. We want to discover the faithfulness of God. So let's jump into this. And I want to share four ideas about God's faithfulness and how this faithfulness can be a part of who we are. And here's the first idea. Faithfulness is about who we love, not just simply about what we believe. Because often we think of faith, right? We think of intellect. We think of ideas. And we come out of an enlightenment, if you need to discover that, in the 19th century, the enlightenment moved into real rational thinking. And, And thinking is important. And yet the idea of faithfulness is connected to a relational concept, not just an intellectual concept. Does that make sense? It's not just so much I believe in a set of doctrines which are important, but behind those doctrines is a person, and it's the person of God. I love how Martin Luther King captured this. He said it this way, Christianity has no meaning devoid of Christ. Now hear those words, Christianity has no meaning devoid of Christ. Now why is that? Well, he goes on to say, the noble principles of Christianity remain abstract until they're personified in a person called Christ. Christ becomes the center, the pivotal point around which everything revolves in the Christian faith. God didn't send us a great argument. He sent us a watertight person. And it's in the person of Jesus that the truth of Christianity becomes manifest and real. And you find out what faithfulness is, not just simply in arguments and cognitive thoughts, but in the experience of watching Jesus through the Gospels go out into the world and touch lives and yet remain faithful to God when his faithfulness meant death on a cross. We see faithfulness in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we think about the way that God relates to us, just kind of imagine some of the words that Scripture uses to describe us. One of the main metaphors in the Bible, you see this in the Old Testament, you see it in the New, and I'm not real favorable on this, is bride and bridegroom. God loves to call me his bride. I'm still wrestling through that. That is one image I have never wanted to adopt for myself. Now, when I saw my bride for the first time coming down that aisle, I think I got a greater perspective on what that meant. And then after 20-something years of marriage, I should know that. I think it's 21, guys. You start to understand what that means, that God cherishes us. He is one with us. He longs for us. There is an intimacy that God desires for us that goes greater than simply intellect It is ecstasy, it is intimacy, it is knowledge of knowing one to the other. God calls us his bride. Now, in the story of the Bible, you know that the Israelites were in captivity 400 years. That really messes you up. 
messes up your identity. If you've grown up in an abusive home or a difficult situation, you know how that influences the way you see yourself. Well, 400 years of captivity, 400 years of violence really messes up the way you see yourself. When God rescued the nation of Israel out, these are the words that he spoke, Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 4. He said this to his people, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you out on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if indeed you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Notice, you shall be my treasured possession, and I want you to understand everything is mine. What do you give the person who has everything? God says, I want you. Not only does he say that in the Old Testament, Peter, in 1 Peter, repeats that same phrase, that we are a treasured possession, a holy people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. See, when God rescues us, he blesses us. And he says, Jason, I know you don't like it, but you are my beloved. And though you're often in your behavior wearing black, I see you as wearing white. Not because you are faithful, but because I am faithful. And my faithfulness is now, in a sense, what you wear daily. See, God calls us faithful because he is faithful. Hosea chapter 2 verse 19 says it this way. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Paul says to husbands, husbands, love your wives. However you want, however you're feeling in that moment, No, but as the groom has loved us, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her to cherish, to make her holy, and to cleanse her. This is the language that God uses. See, when you talk about faith and faithfulness, it's not anchored simply in a doctrinal proposition. It's anchored in a person, and a person who has been faithful to us. Faithfulness is about relationship. Second, faithfulness is also about who or what we trust. Now, here's the challenge. Because we live in such an enlightenment culture and intellect and ideas are so important to us than they are, we often think if I say it, it must be true. So when we walk out the door, we say, you know, God, I'm just trusting in you. You're my hope. I'm rejoicing in who you are. And yet we have these things called functional saviors. Functional gods. What are functional gods? Well, I walk out in the morning and... You know, I think it's because I love God that I feel good, but maybe I just have a good hair day. Maybe the stock market is coming back. Maybe my boss called me and said, hey, things are good. Maybe the family was happy around the kitchen table that morning. And I'm walking, and those things are good, but we're walking out, and our heart is so fickle, and our affections are so fickle, that we think that we're trusting in God in this moment, but the reality is I got good health. I got a good life. I'm living in Evergreen. The mountains are right there. Just had my Starbucks. And I'm feeling good. But what's happening is there is a functional God that is really my foundation. Now, how do you discover 
If you're walking in trust and faithfulness in God, or you're walking on a functional God that's kind of getting you by, it's called a pandemic. It's called stress. (laughs) Stress is an opportunity to reveal what's going on in the heart. About 10 years ago, I had this um, health scare. Turned out to be nothing, just a little bit of, I think I had something going on, pleurisy or something in the, in the lung. But I had this pain, intense pain right over my heart. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm like 35. This is 10 years ago, so I'm 45. It's okay. I'll let you know that. And I was worried. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh no, I, I got to go to a cardiologist. You know, my grandfather had heart issues. I'm, I'm too young. I go to the cardiologist and they do this stress test. Anybody had that? fun experience, you know, they kind of lube you up and then they stick all these wires on you, right? And then they stick you on this treadmill and you start off and it's pretty easy, you know, you're like feeling it, you know, feeling macho, all these people are watching you and, and then suddenly they go a little bit quicker, Mr. Freeman, you doing okay? Yeah, okay, we're going to take the uh, incline up from zero about to five, how you doing on that? And you're going, I'm doing good. And then they take it all the way up, right? And it's, it's going 15 miles an hour, you're at 10% incline and you are just, everything in you is pushing and running because in that test they're trying to discover what is the capacity of your heart. Well, when stress and trials come into your life, you see the capacity of your worship, You see what you really worship. Often you see it through your emotions. Often you see it through your anger. Often you see it through your sadness. There is normal sadness, normal anger. It's not sinful. But when we find ourselves in those places of rage, we're not worshiping God at that moment. When we find ourselves in those, those moments of moral superiority where we can look down on others, We're not worshiping God in that moment. Something functional has taken the place of God and we find ourselves walking not in a firm foundation in relationship to God, but instead we find ourselves in a place of arrogance and pride. James said it this way, consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith, it develops, that's the treadmill, It develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Faithfulness is about dependency and trust. When you're in times of stress, what are you trusting in? And in this culture, every day there's a new thing to trust, a new gadget, a new image, a new experience. We live in a culture that's constantly saying, worship this, worship this, worship this. Peter said it this way, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But these have come, why? So that your faith, remember faith, it's based in what you love. It's not just based in the ideas. The ideas are important, but we can fool ourselves about what we believe. It's based in what we love, and it's based on what we're depending on. Though your faith, though, uh, oh, I lost it in my mind. More precious than gold that perishes, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What does this season say about what you worship? What is this season of political unrest, of brokenness in our streets? What does it say about what we worship? What do our conflicts in our relationships, 
when we have conflict in relationship, it's about what we worship. It's not about what she did. Because she can't make me do something. That comes out of me. That's something that I didn't realize I had this on right now. Did you guys have been watching that the whole time? Sorry about that. Just having a private moment in front of everybody. I didn't mean to wear this up here. I was listening to something this morning and had no idea that it was on. So anyway, that's just that's a little bit of my life. Faithfulness is what we love. It's what we trust. And God shows us in those times of anxiety what we're depending on. And then third, third, faithfulness and faith in God we see it and we see that our faithfulness when there are opportunities to compromise. When compromise is great, we begin to discover what it is we're trusting in. I love this Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, he said it this way, if I profess with the loudest voice in the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point, which the world and the devil at that moment are attacking. I'm not confessing Christ. However boldly I may profess Christianity, where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. What's he saying? I can talk about Jesus, but unless I'm bringing into my life and listening to the Lord in those moments where I compromise, I'm not really professing Christ. I'm not really listening to the Lord. And here's the reality. All of us love to change the words of Scripture. There are verses I really care about because I'm doing well in those areas. My weaknesses are the things I don't see. It's called a blind spot. And there are aspects of God's character, aspects of what God calls us to that we ignore because they're difficult. We look at the words of Jesus and we think, you know, those are idyllic words, but they're not practical. That's really not God's call. Love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. When we see cursing in our heart, does that trigger something in us to say, wait a minute, There's not something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with me. And what's wrong with me is that I'm trusting and loving something. And the more you love something, meaning give yourself to it, whether it's the news. And we all love our favorite news outlet. How faithfully do you worship it? Do you listen to it? It becomes a voice that then changes your affections. The more you listen to something, the more you choose something, the more you rejoice in something, the more you get angry by what something says. It takes the affections of your heart and like a bride to a bridegroom, it's welding you together. Faithfulness shows up in times of compromise. God calls us to be citizens of heaven. Peter says we are citizens of heaven. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of break, it breaks down in this very popular prayer, the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. That I am to live on earth, not simply by my rights on earth, not by my national pride. Though those things are valuable and we defend them, I live according to the ethics, the rules, and the values of heaven. And sometimes what we will do in our country is we will so exalt our national pride and rights that we use them to disobey God. 
Why do we do that? Because this is the Kool-Aid we swim in. This is where your affections are bound. I want to share a story with you. It's the story of Artemis. Now, you may not know Artemis unless you're kind of into Greek mythology and all that kind of stuff, but Artemis had influence and power in this little community called Ephesus. And actually, it wasn't a little community at all. It was kind of the Chicago, the Los Angeles, the New York of the day. And Paul comes into Ephesus And he preaches the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus is Lord, which means Artemis is not. Those are fighting words. And because Jesus is Lord, through his life, death, and resurrection, we can have a relationship with God. And what happened? Well, some people began to believe. And see, some people began to believe, but because they grew up in this world, this environment where Artemis was everything, See, Artemis is what you blew up fireworks for. Artemis is what a child wanted on his birthday cake. Artemis is what drove the narratives, the cultural stories of the day. We tell each other stories, right? We tell each other stories in our context about the past, about our presidents, about great moments, about World War II. These are the narratives that influence us and speak into our lives. Well, Artemis was their storyline. And then they come to faith in Christ. It's not as if Artemis and that storyline suddenly disappears. No, it's still inside of us. Why? Because you've spent time loving it, trusting in it, benefiting from it. it made, Artemis made you successful. It, Artemis allowed you to meet your wife Artemis was everything. And so Paul, speaking to this culture, these Christians, he says, watch out, guys. Listen to this. This is in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. I testify you, to you on this day, that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves. Notice that. Who are we paying attention to today? Everyone else, what they're doing. He says, guys, listen, in a time of great challenge, pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to each other, to the flock, in which God, the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, and he's about to leave. I know after my departure, fierce, here's the language, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Now, I would assume fierce wolves, they're going to come from the outside, right? Those are those bad people over there, the ones that do this or value this or act like this. Those are the bad people. Notice the next verse, verse 30. Where are these fierce wolves coming from? Among yourselves. It's from, amongst, it's from among ourselves that men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I command you to God, and here's the word, to the word of his grace, which he is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He's saying the challenge that happens is that within the church, it's not that we simply reject Jesus or we take these bold steps. See, fierce wolves often appear friendly. Fierce wolves are always familiar. What leads us astray is not the obvious, it's the familiar. And what happens is the church is we start 
just leaning to the left, we start leaning to the right, we start building on a foundation that isn't the gospel and it doesn't reflect the kingdom of God and we justify our behaviors maybe by our national pinnings or our national rights, we lose being citizens of heaven because we're not listening to the king, we're not valuing his word. In days of compromise, hear me on this, you have to listen to God's word and evaluate what you believe. When you see riots in the streets, you gotta go bless and do not curse. When you see injustice and whether, whatever, however you see that injustice, you see someone mourning, you have to stop and go mourn with those who mourn. You know what that does? That writes me. That gets my focus off myself, back on God, and I say, God, the problem isn't here. I need the spirit of faithfulness to work in a day of compromise. What is faithfulness? It's about what you love. Right now, in this time, you're training your heart to love certain things. Train your heart to love God. How do you do that? Last thing, you've got to see God's faithfulness to you. Here's what I love about the gospel. Here's what I love about the Christian faith. So often we get it wrong, because here's how I worked my faith out for the longest time. Jason, just get it together. I'm Jason, if you didn't know. If anyone's Jason here, I apologize, I'm not talking to you. Get it together. I'd fail, I'd fall into temptation. What is wrong with you? And I would look at my unfaithfulness. You ever do that? Kind of spend a day just meditating on how worthless and broken you are. You hear the disappointment of others, and all of us have done that. We've, we've hurt people. And what do we do? We sit in it. What is that called? It's called meditation. Scripture says to meditate on the word of God. What we love to do is to meditate on my nastiness. Sometimes the nastiness of others. She did this to me. You know what that does? The more you do that, it arrests your affections. Like a bride to a bridegroom, you're becoming one. And so there's these reactions we have in our culture because we have so ingrained ourselves to respond certain ways. We're not listening to the word of God. And when those reactions come saying, wait a minute, this isn't what I love. I need to allow the word of God to begin to diagnose my brokenness and my lack of faithfulness. How do you do that? For by in your brokenness, reminding yourself of the faithfulness of God. If you camp in your unfaithfulness, you're gonna sit there and be miserable. But when we are broken, God doesn't love us because we get it right. God loves us because Jesus got it right. And it's Jesus' rightness that makes us right. Do you know in your hour of greatest need, God was faithful? And you may think, well, hey, maybe that moment hasn't come. No, it came. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. You may not realize that was your hour of greatest need. Why? Because that was the moment Jesus was tempted. To do what? To allow his heart to move to pragmatic selfishness. To say, my disciples are asleep. Do you remember the story? It's dark. What happens in the dark? My disciples are asleep. The cross is coming. This is Thursday night before Friday Death 
dying for the sins of others. Why is it silent? Why is it dark? Why is everybody asleep? It was the test of the faithfulness of Jesus. And in that moment where he is sweating drops of blood and he turns to his father and the father is not there, rather it's the wrath of God, he chose to be faithful. He chose to stay so that his faithfulness in that moment would anchor us in days of compromise. Because as he is faithful to us, and as we see his faithfulness, in our unfaithfulness, what you gotta do is say, God, I thank you that you were faithful. In our moments of brokenness, we need to be honest, but we don't need to live there. That's not where the gospel is. The gospel means good news. It means God is faithful. So God, in my brokenness, what changes me is reminders of your faithfulness. Have you ever lived with somebody who was so faithful to you? And they just broke it down? I wish you had. I've seen that in pockets where someone just loved you so well. And even though you ran and even though you continued to go down this path, they loved and loved and loved. And that love moved the heart to repentance. What is that? To change. And a new life began. That is God's love for us. Let me read this verse to you. Second Timothy. Second Timothy, and I think it's in chapter... Chapter 2, he says it this way. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. That is the husband who loves us. That is the creator who knows us and longs for us. He is faithful because he cannot deny himself. And that is why no temptation has taken you, but that which is common to man. And here's the language, ready for this? Temptation's in me, and yet Paul says, God is faithful. And I think, wait a minute, Paul. We're talking about my temptation. Why are we talking about God's faithfulness? Because that's what you need when you're tempted. What have you been relying on, Jason? Trying harder? Beating myself up? No, God says, I, wanna, I wanna, want you to remind yourself your identity. You are my bride. You're my chosen one. In those hours of temptation, God is faithful. What do I need to do? When I feel broken, I need to go to the one who makes me whole. And in admitting I need you, you know what? God is close to the humble. He stays away from pride and he says, He says to us this, and James, you adulterous people. Now, why does he say that? Because he's jealous for us. God's jealous for us. He's jealous for our our love was created for him. And he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is, is hatred towards God? What's he saying? He's not saying that the world people are bad. He's saying it's the systems of the world. It's loving the things of the world. He longs for our love. So how does he show his love for us? We don't love because we love. We love because he first loved us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Allow the faithfulness of God to move you to faithfulness. Stop trying to build up false faithfulness. It doesn't work. But instead, be indwelt with the Spirit of God. Confess to God the beauty of his faithfulness for you. And in those moments of weakness, repent and say, God, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for chasing after me. Thank you for not defining me by my worst failures. Thank you for defining me by what Jesus Christ has done. Every day is new and grace starts off every morning. The faithfulness of God, it allows us to live as an opportunity in a time of compromise. Let's bring that spirit
to work through us to move and to heal our land. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that the call of the gospel is not, Jason, do more, try harder, do this, accomplish this. Instead, it's the message of good news that he who is in every way holy and perfect, Jesus Christ, the glory of God, became a man. I don't comprehend that, Father. And yet, he was not just any man, but one who was willing to take my place, to take upon himself my failures, my brokenness, my anger, my rage, my sadness, my weaknesses, so that he could become sin for me and I might be called the righteousness of God. Father, you have changed our identity before we have changed our character. And it's only through the change of our identity, a new name, a new understanding before you that we can begin to address the brokenness in us through the power of the Spirit. I pray for anyone that hasn't cried out to you and said, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I I don't stand before you on any other platform or any other position but the declaration that Jesus is my Savior, He is my Lord, and He has rescued me out of darkness and brought me into the light of the God whom I love. Father, if we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that You have raised Him from the dead, You begin us on a path of discipleship. I pray, Father, You would awaken that in us. And Father, for those of us that are walking in a time of deep unfaithfulness, would Your faithfulness move us to a place of repentance to see your goodness and then move out into the world declaring who you are. And Father, not so much what we need to do. Guide us in these truths we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.